Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of geek to me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall, and today we are joined by Marika Nykamp, number one New York Times bestselling author, about her new project with DC Comics, The Oracle Code. We'll then be talking with Dean Devlin and Christian Kane about their brand new series, debuting on WGN America, Almost Paradise. Stand by. We're talking to you. And for those of you streaming the show online, we appreciate you doing that. And of course, if you're hearing us out there in the world when you're listening in the podcast form on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Podomatic, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your geeky listening material from, we thank you for finding us there and subscribing. We hope you're all staying safe and well during this unprecedented time. Luckily, we've got some great fun to be had here on the show. We're going to dive right in. Right now, we're talking with Marika Nykamp, the author of the new Oracle Code coming out uh, from DC Comics, focusing on one of my favorite characters, Barbara Gordon. Marika, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. I really appreciate your time. We're Skyping with you from the Netherlands. Yeah, I, I was just like talking to um, Sarah at DC saying that we're not at daylight savings right now, so I'm an hour less ahead than I would normally be, which means it's not too late here. Good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> And especially, I know, uh, behind... It's only 9 p.m. I will not keep you too long, and we're going to let all of our listeners know about the Oracle Code, which I'm very excited. When this idea came up, was this an idea that you had, that you pitched to DC Comics, or did someone at DC Comics come up with it and say, hey, Marika's the one we want to write this for us? How did the genesis of the Oracle Code come about? Um, it was honestly a little bit of both, um, in the sense that DC reached out to me, reached out to my agent, asking if I wanted to pitch something for the, the new YA line, and they suggested Barbara Gordon, um, because I um, am quite vocal about being a disabled author, I care about disability rights, I care about writing disabled characters, so they were like, have you considered writing this fantastic disabled character because we would be super interested in having her in this line they were like well obviously if you want to do something else that's perfectly okay too but getting that chance i was not about to say no to that so i came up with a pitch and we went back and forth a bit and that's how the oracle code was born uh, obviously barbara gordon i'm a huge fan when i when i started reading comics barbara gordon was already oracle uh, she was already finished with her batgirl career and we were fortunate enough to have John Ostrander on the show to talk about how he kind of created the character. So how much of a deep dive into Oracle and Barbara Gordon did you go? How far back are we looking? Where's the story set? Talk a little bit about where we see Barbara at this point. 
So um, the story itself is set in a in a different continuity than main continuity. The, the YA books um, stand on their own. So this isn't necessarily a Barbara we see in in main comics. This is a teen Barbara who hasn't been bad girl. She's a teen hacker uh, who cares a lot about her father and, and keeps an eye on like police scanners to know what's happening because obviously her dad is very busy being awesome, um, like the awesome commissioner of GCPD. So she doesn't have that bad girl background. She's a uh, like 15, 16 year old girl who follows her dad to a um, an active crime situation and ends up getting shot and ends up in a wheelchair. Um, so it's a slightly, it's a different origin story than Oracle in main continuity had for a whole lot of reasons, but mostly because I wanted to focus on her as, wanted to focus on, on basically Babs' growth from being, in this case, this, this young girl who had all these dreams and, and ideas of what her future was going to hold and feels like she has to put all of that aside because she suddenly finds herself in a wheelchair and has to deal with figuring out who she is again. Part of that too was like you mentioned um, doing a deep dive. I definitely like I had known the character for many, many years, but in preparation for writing this story, I went back and basically read everything starting with like Suicide Squad 23 and, and making my way up to uh, a current Batgirl continuity and literally read everything in between. And aside from Oracle Year One, we never really got to see that side of Babs going from getting shot to becoming Oracle. Most of that sort of happens behind the computer screen. And to me, that was always one of the most interesting stories, like having this character who goes through immense trauma and finds herself again, finds her strength and has to basically she comes to realize that who she is hasn't changed and what matters to her hasn't changed um how she deals with the world has changed but that's only a small aspect of her personality and to be able to show that was i hope it's still not to a lot of continuity babs and and oracle the oracle that meant so much to so many disabled readers including myself but it's also a story that will hopefully resonate with teens who are who are also struggling to figure out who they are and 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 find themselves in a situation and oh, I'm assuming most of them not in this particularly like traumatic situation but find themselves in time in their lives where it feels like everything is changing and and they suddenly have to be someone that they're still figuring out and for me it was it was a lot of fun bringing those two threads together on the one hand like this this oracle storyline and on the other on the other hand this is very quintessential ya coming of age story and having it not set in the main dc continuity i assume that's a little more freeing as well because you don't have to refer back to aspects of the killing joke and you can kind of play with uh, the bits of lore that you wanted to kind of bring in on your own. So I'm assuming it was not not to say that it was easy to write, but a little bit more freeing in the writing. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I have, as as many writers have, have definitely written fan fiction. So I know what it's like to write in continuity for myself. <laughs> um, but taking on a <laughs> taking on this, this like massively important character and a, a universe that has such history and and such scope it always felt like a balancing act and and knowing that there were some some liberties in 
what I wanted to bring along to this story and what I get behind because it didn't really fit the scope of this story, that that absolutely helps. And I'm not going to lie, I really enjoyed writing a slightly different origin story that was purely about Babs and her having her making choices and and having agency and kind of almost putting herself in a situation that sort of led to everything that happened in the book. But I, I liked having that freedom because I felt like it was important to the story. And her being, like I said, such an integral character with all the people who have uh, worked on Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl slash Oracle from John Ostrander. I know Gail Simone recently tweeted out and she was talking a little bit about the Birds of Prey series that she wrote for a while that she said, when I have someone else's character, I feel like I'm kind of tending a garden. It's, it's someone who's already worked on the garden and created the garden. It's my job to keep the garden in great shape. So having not set in the main DC continuity, that takes a little bit of pressure off. But because Oracle is such a beloved character, Barbara Gordon is revered. That must have been a little bit of pressure, though, to uh, take on this character overall, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like Even even letting go of the context of continuity, she is still, like you said, such a beloved character. And even even though we we took her and, and made her into a teenage character, I still wanted to figure out a way to do justice to who she is in the comics. So I wanted to find, to make her feel recognizable to everyone on the one hand, she had to, had to be accessible to people who had read the comics, but I still want the of, of Barbara as a character are. And I'd say things like her, her curiosity, her determination, never giving up in the face of anything, basically, always wanting to help her friends. And, and there, there are certainly elements here that while Babs is struggling with everything that happened to her and her new reality, she, she pushes everyone away for a bit. But I feel like that core of who she is is still there and I hope and obviously I, I I'm not the judge of that it, it should be up to the readers but I hope that she still feels recognizable as the same Barbara Gordon who becomes Oracle in continuity um, I hope that she has that same iron will and and that same backbone and that's one of the great things about Barbara Gordon slash Oracle is that she's uh, literally the epitome of overcoming one situation to become the hero within. And I think, especially nowadays when representation is so important in comic books and television, that I think that's the perfect time to be focusing on a character like Barbara Gordon as Oracle. Oh, yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. And I think one of the, the beautiful things about Oracle as a superhero, too, is that her heroism comes from who she is. It doesn't come from any sort of magical, mystical, or extra-human powers um, in whatever way, shape, or form. It comes from her never giving up. And I think that's specific kind of beautiful. It, it means that every single one of us, and, and certainly I think this is important for disabled readers, it means that we get to be heroes too. And we don't get to be heroes by virtue of any modifications or any magical cures or anything like that. We get to be superheroes and disabled. We get to be both at the same time. And I think that that's an incredibly important message. Absolutely. And I know it, it, the Oracle code is out now. I will post a link uh, for anyone who wants it, but I, I always encourage you to please support your local comic book store. You can obviously, if they don't have it, I'm sure they can order it. Uh, with the art by Manuel Pratano, did you collaborate with him on that or did you turn in the 
finished draft and then get to see the artwork? How was the art slash writing collaboration between the two of you? And we'll take our first break right there. Come back talking with New York Times number one bestselling author Marika Nijkamp about her collaboration with the artist Manuel Pratino on the Oracle Code. Stand by. This is James Enstall, host of Geek Me Radio, and in honor of my favorite Themyserian, I've decided to become an Amazon warrior. Harrod, give me strength. The next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to geektomeradio.com first and click on our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go towards supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the latest Wonder Woman graphic novel or parts for your invisible jet, click through from geektomeradio.com first. The world was in peril. Would you have me stand by and do nothing? This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio. We are back. This segment brought to you by Historic St. Charles, the website discoverstcharles.com. I know here in St. Louis, we're locked down like most of the country. Uh, a lot of the world is. This is unprecedented in our times. Getting outside, we're still allowed to do. We're still allowed to go to park. Make sure you practice your social distancing. But if you are wanting to get outside, St. Charles has a lot of great places to do just that. Frontier Park, you can uh, go up and down historic Main Street. A lot of the shops are sadly closed, but that doesn't mean you can't still get outside, enjoy some fresh air and beautiful historic surroundings. And of course, like me, I'm sure you're all planning, what are we going to do when all this is over? And it will be over soon. I have faith that... uh, the people, our governments are working on cures and getting us back to normal as quickly as they can. When this is all over, we're going to want to get out. We're going to want to go to restaurants. We're going to want to go out and, and shop and experience all the things we can't do at the moment. Historic St. Charles has a lot of great places to do just that. Plan your trip now. Check out uh, what we could be doing. We can fantasize and plan right now. The website, once again, discoverstcharles.com. They'd love to see you there once everything opens back up and is in full swing. You can uh, come out, plan your trip. If you want to stay, you need to get a little vacation in after all this stay-at-home stuff. Uh, St. Charles has a lot of great places to stay, a lot of great places to dine, lots of things to see and do. Go ahead and check out the website, discoverstcharles.com. That's discoverstcharles.com. Plan your trip, and hopefully we will be back up and running and normal on the planet as soon as we can. Right now, we are talking with author Marika Nijkamp, and before we went to break, we asked about her collaboration on this graphic novel, The Oracle Code, with artist Manuel Pertano. We collaborated quite heavily, which is honestly one of my favorite parts about the whole um, process. I turned in the script piecemeal, so I think it was like three different chunks of script, something like that, but we went back and forth on designs for the characters and designs for... Um, the Arkham Center of Independence, where Bab spends most of her time. Um, and, and just like from the smallest details to figuring out, like Manuel brought so much to this world and to this story. And it was just such a pleasure for me to be able to sit back and sort of like see him take on the script and hand it back to me. And, and all I had to do was basically just del- delete lines and lines of dialogue because it was so present there in, in the art that it didn't need more words to say what was going on. And it was just, I I love his art. I love what he did with these characters. I love how 
careful and and respectful he was of portraying like 15 different kinds of wheelchairs and and crutches and other kinds of assistive devices and how creepy he made the book um it was it was such a pleasure working with him some artists and writers when they work together uh several things they almost have a shorthand between the two of them giffen and Demetrius on justice league for example is this the first time you worked with him it was and like even even just a couple of weeks and it felt like we'd been working together for years probably <laughs> like he it, it it at times felt like he could just like see right into my brain and take what I wanted and, and turn it onto to the page, which was quite spectacular. Um, I am definitely not an artist. I am in awe of people who can art well. Um, <laughs> but seeing like these visions I had for, for the characters and for the setting and, and just like taking it and running with it. Um, yeah, it, it felt like we were completely on the same wavelength for this story. It sounds like you guys might have a superpower of your own, some kind of telepathy going on between the two of them. <laughs> oh my God, wouldn't that be amazing though for writing books? Just like skipping the whole staring at blank pages and just being <laughs> able to telepathy, <laughs> telepathically um, sending stuff to you. To, that would be fun. It would certainly <laughs> increase the turnaround time. I'm sure publishers would expect stuff a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah, there is that. <laughs> Now that the Oracle code is out, what else are you working on? Um, well, at the moment, I'm, I'm answering a lot of interview questions, which is a lot of fun because it keeps me in this world a little bit, like in this, this Oracle world a little bit longer. Um, uh, so primarily that, um, a few things I can't talk about yet, which is always fun. Um, and I have a book, a regular novel coming out uh, later this year, too, that's... Um, I, for me, the working title was always Murder RPG Book. Mm. Um, so that tells you pretty much everything you need to know about okay. uh, what happens there. <laughs> <laughs> and one last question. If you could give the Oracle Code treatment to another DC character, who would you take on? <laughs> oh, God, there are so, so many, so many amazing characters. And one of the, like, a completely, completely different character, but one of the characters that has always appealed to me is Supergirl. Because hmm. one of the things I love about the, the Super Family books, and I think um, Superman Smashes the Clan is an amazing example of that, and probably one of my favorite books this year. Um, but Super stories are so great in terms of their stories about hope. And if there's anything we all need right now, it's like an extra doses of hope. Yeah, double strength, please. That'd be yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please. Well, this has actually been just an incredible delight. I'm very excited. I was very glad that you consented to the interview, so thank you. Uh, where can people find you out there in the internet? On Twitter, Instagram? Tell people uh, where they can look for you. Uh, technically, you can find me on Instagram. I post at least twice a year. Most of the time, you can find me on Twitter. Um, which is um, my my handle is Marie Kein, which is M A R I E K E Y N because I delight in having names that are impossible to most people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I spent way too much time on Twitter. So find me there. Um, come talk to me about books because books are great. Perfect, Marie and I Camp. I am greatly appreciative of your time. Thanks so much. Uh, continued success to you, and hopefully we'll have you back on for the sequel to the Oracle Code. That is definitely it. Thank you so much for having me. My thanks once again to Marika Nijkamp, Skyping with me from the Netherlands. 
Uh, technology is amazing. I love to be able to speak with uh, writers and artists who I admire. And this was such a great book. We're going to have a giveaway coming on Twitter. So make sure you follow me there if you want to grab a copy of the Oracle Code at geek to me Radio on Twitter. And we will have instructions on how you can win a copy for your very own. We're going to take our next break. Come back talking with Dean Devlin and Christian Kane about their series, Almost Paradise. Stand by. Hi, this is Dean Devlin, director of Bad Samaritan, and you are listening to geek to me Radio. Welcome back to geek to me Radio. Again, I'm your host, James Enstall, and uh, we've had Dean Devlin on the show before talking about the movie Bad Samaritan that he directed with David Tennant, and we've had Christian Kane way back before this was an actual radio show when I was a segment on somebody else's show Christian Kane came through during Wizard World St. Louis, and we chatted with him briefly then. But I was very excited for the chance to sit down and talk with both of them, working on this series that uh, Dean Devlin is an executive producer, and Christian Kane is the lead in this new series, Almost Paradise. Very exciting. They sent me over a few episodes to watch, and here's my chat with these two people. Right now, we've got director, writer, producer, actor Dean Devlin. We're also joined by actor, singer, songwriter Christian Kane talking about the brand new series set to debut on WGN America, Almost Paradise. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. I like this guy. He's like, look how many titles we got, Dean. <laughs> I didn't want to leave any stone unturned, so I want to make sure I got all the accolades out there. That's right. So you two obviously have collaborated before, uh, the librarians on Leverage. I assume by now the two of you almost have like a shorthand. You can almost read each other's minds by this point, yeah? It's a little bit like, uh, you know, a, a rep company. <laughs> that, that's got to make yeah. for a great working relationship. It really does. 13 years I've been with this man. He's given me unbelievable roles and he just gave me another one. So I'm very proud to call him a boss and a friend. And for Dean, uh, talk about a little bit the genesis of this idea for Almost Paradise, where the germ originated at and uh, how it was kind of now come to fruition. Well, you know, it, 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 uh, the initial germ happened, you know, uh, uh, well over 10 years ago uh, on my honeymoon in Hawaii. There, I was watching a local news story about how these these people living in a small town had had captured these uh, drug dealers by themselves because they got tired of waiting for the police, and it got me thinking about island justice and island culture, and and you know I, I'm half Filipino, and I realized that no one has ever done a show in the Philippines. I mean, it, this is literally the first scripted television series ever to take place in in the Philippines. And I remember at the time uh, coming up with the show and 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 the character, and and I I went to Christian and I said I said you know it's too bad you're too young for this part because I'm writing this part that's absolutely perfect for you, but uh, luckily by the time I was actually able to get it made, uh, Christian aged up. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to the best of us. We, we all get older. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. your, your publicist was kind enough to send over the first two episodes, and my wife and I watched them, and we loved it. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Oh, and the, the the second episode got a little bit better, and I saw, Dean, you just tweeted out a hint to somebody that said, each episode gets better than the one before it. So that's setting the bar pretty high. By episode 10, we'll be standing up screaming at our TV, I guess. I think so. I mean, you know, look, a, a big part of why we love watching television is the characters. And, you know, 
in the beginning of a series, you have to establish everybody. But as you can see, the difference between episode one and episode two, by episode two, the fire between them starts to heat up, and, and, and that fire does not calm down until <laughs> after the show ends. And doing the filming in the Philippines, like you said, uh, you're, you're half uh, Filipino, and this hadn't been done before there. Was that immediately your, your first choice? Was it got to be done there, or was it kind of uh, jockeyed around a couple different positions or uh, locations that may have been used? Well, you know, like I said, originally, uh, when I came up with the idea, we were in Hawaii and I was thinking about that. But once I got it into my head that this could be in the Philippines, it, it just made everything seem fresh. It, it made everything seem, you know, I'm kind of more known for like Independence Day and Stargate. And I think what people gravitate to that is I was able to show them a world they've never seen. Well, mm. in a way, Philippines is as, as, as unique to an American viewer as another planet. You know, sure. if you ask the average American what they know of the Philippines, they'll they'll say Ameldo Marcus's shoes and Manny Pacquiao, <laughs> and that's about it. You know, and, and I think that people are gonna be very surprised when they see these incredibly beautiful resorts and the culture and the food and the spirituality of the island. Um, and it's all wrapped up in a really fun action show. And Christian, uh, you obviously are no stranger to action roles. I mean, a lot of the fight scenes, if I'm not mistaken, you choreographed some of those on leverage, for example. When you, you're playing a DEA agent, what kind of a deep dive did you do into that sort of character to kind of uh, get in the mindset for Alex Walker? Well, it was, uh, you know, the, the thing is with the, with, the, with the DEA character, it's, you know, it's a cop. It's also, I, I would assume that he would have some military training, stuff like that. And so I really relied on uh, Elliot Spencer from Leverage to give me a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the, the background, you know what I mean? But this is why he's a different character because now he's forced to retire. He's got hypertension and he can't, he just can't do it anymore. His body can't take it because he's put his body on the line so much in the past. And uh, so th that's what was kind of fun about this is the, the guy had to find a piece and he's trying to find a piece, which makes the character very emotional. And I, I haven't played a character like that, uh, especially for Dean, where, where, where his, his emotions are on his sleeve. I always roll my sleeves down to cover up my heart. But, you know, <laughs> this one, it's just out there. So it was fun to to be able to uh, to go and find that guy. You know, the fighting stuff, I got that down. That's back a hand from me because I've, I've been able to uh, fortunately do it for so long. It was the emotional side of things, you know what I mean? And when you, when you, when you mix comedy with emotion, the emotions are always stronger. The, the, you know, the, it's, it's just, it's something you do because you, I'm, I'm trying to make this guy joke his way out of stuff that actually is really serious. And you can tell that I, uh, hopefully when you, when you watch the episodes. But I'll, but I'll tell you something about Christian Kane and, and, and developing characters because a, 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 a close eye will see this, but you know, whenever we've done three different shows and, and Christian was very careful on making uh, 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 the character in librarians different than the one in leverage and this character different than those two. But what's really kind of fun at a, is that we would be doing fight scenes on almost paradise and he would do a move and then he would stop and he go, no, no, that's how Elliot would do it. Then he'd do another move and he'd go, no, 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 that's how stone would do it. <laughs> and then he would do it. And he goes, okay, that's the guy. It's like literally the fighting style is different than the other two fighting styles. And nine out of 10 people might not recognize that when they watch the show, but if you watch closely, you're going to see that even in the way that he beats people up is different than the way the other two did it. <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the fight the fight scene in front of the airplane at the end of episode two, I I did notice it's like that uh, man Elliot wouldn't have had, he just would have so I can see that it just in the moves physically. Now that you say that, I hadn't thought about it at the time, but it is physically different. So Christian, when you're doing that, then is it just a conscious decision to okay, I'm going to use my non dominant hand, or I'm not going to be as powerful with this punch, or are you actually doing different fight styles? It's it's very it's very it's funny in the U.S. It's it's very I have to concentrate on it and I have to concentrate on it more. You know, fighting on TV is a dance. You know, I'm not going to go win any win any matches in the octagon. It's really a dance. It's just, it's this beautiful you know violent dance, and you have to remember the dance moves. And the whole time I'm trying to remember the dance moves, I'm sitting there going, "Would you know? Th- I've got to create something new for this character." So I'm really thinking about it, really concentrating very hard, to be honest with you. And the great thing about this character is. You know, Elliot never lost a fight. He doesn't get hit a lot. This guy gets hit a lot. And I wanted to show that right off the bat. And, then I, and I won't give anything away. But if you notice, I mean, the first, the sort of the first, one of the first fights he gets into on the boat, you know, he, I, to, I, that wasn't scripted. I said, I want you to hit me. I want you to knock me down on the ground because I wanted to show that this guy is not Elliot. This guy, this guy does take punches and he can't win every fight that he's in. And so uh, it was, uh, so I had to, I, I started like, you know, I think Noah Wiley working with him on the librarians showed me that it was okay to make fun of myself. He really kind of showed me that in the comedy world. And so I kind of carried that over into this and go, you know what? For this character, it's, it's okay to get, to get beat up every once in a while, you know, to get your ass handed to you. He, he's that guy. He wears his heart on his sleeve, but he's not, that, he's not as tough as these other characters. So that was a fun thing for me to do was try to find little moments there where he loses. And, the, and I'm not used to that. And I found little moments, whether it be through words, through fights, or through emotion, where he loses. And that was what was fun about playing this character. And you've also, uh, in a sense, you're fighting with a hand tied behind your back because you've got the heart condition you've got to worry about and be mindful of, uh, which kind of adds another layer to the character's uh, dilemma, I guess, about what he's doing, how he's doing it. Well, see, that's not necessarily true. I love that you brought that up, and Dean can talk more on this. That's the only time he actually feels really comfortable is when he's in a fight or when he's on a case. And that's what happens to him is he, he realizes throughout the time that him sitting on the beach trying to relax is absolutely not working. It only calms him down when he's in the middle of a fight in some sort. Hmm. So we'll see that. Yeah, this is a character. Go ahead. This is a character who spent so many years undercover that he's comfortable being other people. He's comfortable being in life threatening situations. Sitting in his house and trying to listen to the radio stresses him out. <laughs> <laughs> the I only think, thing he doesn't know how to be is himself. I think sitting in the house, yeah. uh, listening to the radio, stressing us out, I think we can all kind of relate to that at this particular moment in time. So it's very topical as well. Sure. So with uh, <laughs> we saw a lot in the librarians. We saw some familiar faces guest starring uh, from Leverage. We saw it's kind of a, a nice little homage to the people you've worked with might we see coming down the road, some people from librarians pop up or some more, uh, maybe Gina Bellman from leverage come over to where you possibly see guest stars. We're going to pause right there. We're going to take another break. Want to remind you movie theaters are something I am missing right now. Uh, they're closed down. I'm sure it's the same where you are. Let's get out there and make sure we see movies because these movie delays, uh, all the movies being pushed back because the theaters can't be open. Uh, streaming stuff at home is great. 
But I have talked about it before on the show. I am a movie theater guy. I need to go out and sit in the theater in the dark room and you hear the people around you laughing when you laugh and kind of gasping when you gasp if it's a horror movie. And of course, the popcorn, the big fountain soda, it is a ritual for me. I love doing it and it can't get back to normal soon enough. MarcusTheaters.com is a great place to go see a movie. I know if you're in the St. Louis area, you've probably been to Ronnie's or the recently renovated Chesterfield uh, Theater out there. It's a fantastic place to go see a movie. It's comfortable. The food's great between their restaurants and just their general concessions. Uh, the movie quality, the sound, it's, it's just such a great place to go to see Marcus Theaters. And I know we can't do it right now, but that doesn't mean you can't still support these businesses. Buy a gift card. Buy a gift card for a friend. Uh, you know, Easter's coming up. You can give it to, uh, you know, if you have a young niece or nephew or uh, son or daughter who like movies, kind of give them that promise. Spring is here. New hope. We're going to be get back to normal soon. And give them a Mar movie theater gift card from Marcus Theaters or Movie Tavern. Let them know that, that you know, when things get back to normal, we're going to get out. We're going to be seeing movies again. I certainly am. We're going to do a Marcus Theaters gift card giveaway here on Twitter. So follow me there at Geek Me Radio. Check out the website. Go to the website. Let them know you're still there. MarcusTheaters.com is the website. You can kind of longingly look for all the movies we're going to be looking forward to seeing here once things get roaring back to action in hopefully June or July when they push back some of these movies to Black Widow, Minions, all these great films. Let them know you're still there. Let them know you appreciate them. MarcusTheaters.com. Uh, follow them on Instagram, at Twitter as well. And hopefully we'll all be seeing you at the movies again very soon. Hi everybody, this is James Masters with his sexy fake British accent. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio. Before we went to break, we were talking with Christian Kane and Dean Devlin, and we asked Dean if whether or not we'll see some familiar faces from Leverage or Librarians show up on Almost Paradise. There's one, and I won't give it away, but there's one that's going to show up uh, uh, somewhere in the middle of the season. Okay. Yeah. And I, I've actually worked with the librarians and on leverage. And so it's going to be, uh, people are going to be very excited to see this, this person. Okay, very cool. And I know now, uh, Dean, you're good friends with David Tennant. So we might be able to see D.I. Alec Hardy from Broadchurch show up on the island. Yeah. Give me a second season and we'll try to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my, another one of my questions is that I saw on IMDb, it's only 10 episodes. Is this one of those, because I know a lot of Netflix and everything, that's kind of where people are going is the, the 12, the eight episodes. Uh, so there's not all this, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word, pork filled into episodes. And, and when you get a 22 or 23 episode season, is that meant to be a 10 episode run and it might get extended or will each season only be about 10 episodes? Well, I, I think probably the sweet spot for this show is going to be about 13 episodes. And, I, and I'm hoping season two will be 13. You know, that's what happened on, on our other show, The Outpost. Uh, season one was 10, and then we've been 13 ever since. And, and that's worked out really well for us. So I, I, I'm kind of hoping we, we end up, we end up uh, there. And congratulations on The Outpost getting a season three. It was just announced uh, the end of last year. Congratulations on that. Thanks. So obviously... You have plans for a second season. I can't imagine that the two of you with the chemistry you have uh, doing shows aren't going to get at least a second season. So how far out have you planned? Just out of curiosity, might there be already in the back of your mind a third and fourth season running? 
Listen, I, I, I would do Almost Paradise for as long as they'd let me. I, I can't tell you how much fun Kane and I have making this show. It's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous that we actually get paid to do it. <laughs> yeah. And Chris- can I tell you, that tip is perfect, to be honest with you, because we, we got to concentrate on those 10 and just start, you know, from there to there. If we, if we, you know, it, it's, it's a really nice wrap-up for season one. I don't know if you know this, but Dean Devlin comes in and, and directs the, the, um, the 10th episode, the final episode of the season, and a lot of questions or answers. You know, he, he always does a really good job of wrapping up a season by answering the questions that we've been asking the whole season, and it was so much fun, and, and you know, it, was, uh, it, it ties up really nice. And 10 was perfect this year, but like I said, I mean, would I want to go 22? Absolutely. 13 would be really <laughs> nice. But, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're geared up and ready, man. We're, we're ready for our second season. And Christian, obviously, singer songwriter. Uh, you've I've heard you play the guitar when you came here through St. Louis for Wizard World. Gosh, it's probably been about yeah. five years ago now. W- will we uh, get some music out of you in Almost Paradise? Well, you know, there's spoilers, but there's no way around it. Yeah, you're going to get some music. Dean uh, promised the fans early on that they were going to get some music, uh, and I'll be playing and singing, man. So that's uh, that's a really good thing. Dean, Dean he always makes good on his promises with the work on this, you mentioned the doing the fight scenes and having to really concentrate what's as an actor, what's harder for you? Is it the learning the lines or is it the fight choreography or is it kind of an even mix? That's almost like doing double duty. <laughs> well, um, I don't, you know, the fight stuff just comes back a hand. Like I said, it's just, a, it really is a dance. And if you learn the dance and I go over it in my mind and, and when we're in between takes, I'll just walk through it by myself even sometimes um, and that's, uh, so, so it's, it's a lot harder delivering the lines when you, when you are fighting and, you know, it's like, it's, uh, I think, uh, a friend of ours, John Rogers said, you know, Christian Kane's one of those guys that can deliver a punch and a line at the same time. And that, that to me was a really big compliment. I think not learning the lines, this guy seemed to talk just like me, man. So it was very fun. I think that the, 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 the most, the most, um, the, the biggest challenge I had was the emotional side of this man. And just trying to, uh, trying to show as many colors as I could in one scene. Um, there's an episode actually Dean directed that, um, you know, I, I found myself going from, from, from black to white to red to blue to purple. I mean, all these just in one scene. And I didn't even realize I was doing it until the scene was over. And I was like, man, that was well-written. And I had so much fun doing it, but there's so many high emotions. This show is like Baskin Robbins. There's 31 flavors <laughs> and sometimes in the, in the middle of a, of a minute and a half scene. And I just love that, man. And that's that's something that's uh, that's sim- somewhat new to me, and it was fun to film. But I'll tell you, there's there's another aspect of, of Christian's work on the show that the audience won't know. That I I, I just want to let everyone know, which is that our our crew and our cast they'd never done a show like this in the Philippines. They didn't know how to do it. So Christian was not only acting and doing fight scenes, but he was mentoring everyone. He was mentoring the other actors. He was mentoring the crew on how to do this type of production because they'd never done a production like this before. Um, and Christian really earned his producer title on this show. I mean, he he was so generous and patient and and uh, uh, fatherly to this crew. I mean, it was it was something that the audience won't know because they they weren't there and they they don't see the outtakes. But from my chair, it was it was such a a beautiful thing to watch his empathy for these people. His, his, his love of them, his love of, of what we were doing and trying to pa- pass on that passion to every member of our crew and cast. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. 
Well, hopefully when the Blu-ray or the DVD of season one comes out, we might see some cutaways and some behind the scenes stuff like that. We need to have that included for sure. <laughs> That's a question for me. I kept telling them to keep that take. I go, you got to keep that take for the bloopers. I don't know if we'll have that. We've always had that. Hopefully uh, we may get some of that. And Christian, are you an actor who likes to, uh, I wouldn't say likes to, but are you okay watching yourself? Because some actors, they'll, they'll do their work and they won't go back and actually view it. Do you like to watch the takes and be like, oh, I could do that better? Are you kind of one of those uh, self-critiquers or do you not like to watch what you're doing and trust the writers and the directors to give the best take of you when it hits the cutting room? It's very, it's very fun. I, I watch myself. I don't watch myself when we're filming it because I, I, I think I'll make the wrong choice. I think sometimes I want to look too cool on screen. And uh, a lot of times the one that you don't look cool is the best take. And I, and I, so I don't watch myself. The only thing I ever watch in playback when we're, when we're on set is the fights. Cause I got to make sure that they're all hits and not misses. And that, that looks cool. Cause that's important to look cool when you fight. But other than that, I do not do playbacks. I don't do anything on set, but I have no problem. And I absolutely love it. You can't learn. You can't learn anything about yourself or your craft. If you don't watch back. I mean, listen, some people don't do it because maybe they're just really great at what they do. I, I sit and I watch with, you know, on TV, I watch it and I, I critique myself, but at the same time I have fun, but I do not watch on set because uh, a lot of times I, I will go for the coolness instead of what's right. And so I leave that all up to Dean. Makes sense. And uh, the the cast here, there's a, there's a great chemistry with the main players. I know uh, Christian and Arthur and Samantha have this really great dynamic between them. How much of the casting, uh, Dean, did you have a hand in? Were you able to put in, or is that you leave that all up to casting directors? How hands on are you as a producer? That's uh, all, Dean. <laughs> well, actually, in this particular case, uh, Christian and I flew out to Manila uh, early. And we held casting sessions and Christian read with the actors so we could see the chemistry. Oh, wow. And it was very important to both Christian and I that we had real Filipino actors. Uh, we wanted to show the audience this enormous amount of talent in the Philippines, whether it was our, our DP or our production designer or, or our cast. And, but the key was, will they match? Will they, you know, will their energies uh, come to light. And, and I can just tell you right off the bat that the minute Samantha Richie, uh, uh, Rochelle, Samantha Rochelle audition, Kane was like, it's her. It's her. That's the girl. That's the girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he, again, he was so generous with her. He spent time coaching her and, and uh, uh, she's been one of the great surprises of the show because she had almost no acting experience before mm. this. And, and every episode, we kept throwing additional things for her character to do, not knowing if she would, would have the skills or, or even if she'd be willing to, to go that deep emotionally. But, you know, as, as far as we threw the stick, she chased it. And the boy, I'll tell you, you're going to be really impressed with her as an actor over the course of this season. Yeah, just the first two episodes, as I yeah. said, already very impressed uh, with, with everybody on, on the cast so far. It's been great. Um, is it, was it intimidating for you at all, Christian, to, to you're going in and obviously you've worked with uh, a lot of people with some people who didn't have much experience. Is that at all kind of worrisome for you? Or is that really kind of where you shine? Like Dean said, you were really, uh, working with her and helping bring it out. We're going to pause it right there. Take our last break. We'll come back, get Christian Kane's answer to that question right after this. Stand by.
is Leanne Brunt. I play Mazakeen on Lucifer, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back to the final segment here on Geek to Me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall. We've been talking with Christian Kane and Dean Devlin about their new series set to debut on WGN America, Almost Paradise. Very excited for this show. Uh, I always relate things to other things that I've seen. So for me, it kind of feels like Castle meets Hawaii Five-0. And that's a great compliment because those are both really good shows that I enjoy quite a bit. So uh, if you're a fan of Dean Devlin and his work, if you're a fan of Christian Kane and his on-screen stuff... This is a show you want to check out. Before we went to break, we asked Christian about his role that Dean said he was kind of acting as a mentor to these new faces uh, that we're going to get to see in this. And whether or not Christian felt comfortable in that role, if that's something he relished, or was it kind of nervous for him to be suddenly the leader of this, uh, this group and kind of mentoring these actors? You know, I was finding the character from day one. And the, the thing about this is Mark Roskin, who I've worked with, I've done so many episodes with Mark Roskin. Roskin, direct, Roskin is a director. He was a director on Leverage. He's also directed uh, a lot of the librarians. He directs a lot of the outposts. And he directed the first two episodes. And I've worked with Roskin even before he started directing because me and Roskin would break off on Leverage and go film the fight scenes. Uh, so I, he's, he's my boy. He's my friend. And the thing with Roskin is he had to introduce all these characters. That's, you know, and that's why, that's why it just keeps getting faster and faster. You have to introduce characters to give backstory for at least the first five. We don't have to do that. We did it in, we did it in two and we're off and running in three. And that's what Dean's talking about. It gets better and better and also faster and faster. So I was creating a character and this character, though broken and doesn't want anybody to see, you know, everything going on. He's pretty cocky because that's how he covers everything up. And so I felt going in with, with Sam and everybody else, I felt, well, let me just be confident. I'm not going to be cocky, but let me be confident. And these, these guys, they, they, were, they were sponges, not towards me, but just what was going on with the show. And I kept telling them, we're a part of something great. We're a part of something that's never been done. You know, that we've never done an American series in the Philippines. And I really didn't have to, have to do anything, man. They were in on the game. They, they were they were sponges, just like me. I was soaking up the surrounding, and they were soaking up what was going on. And they learned really quick. And, you know, you, I, I don't want to – I don't now I don't want to sound cocky when I say this, but I kind of thought, you know, maybe I should just lead by example. And maybe I should just have the best – and I, I was so positive going in there, it was ridiculous. And so they just took – they just got jumped on the train, man, because I wasn't going to stop. I was having the time of my life playing this character and finding this character – uh, and now I know this character so well that it's just, you know, it's just part of me. So, uh, and, and I think they do too, man. So it was, uh, it was very fun to just watch them. I, I just started running really fast and they all grabbed onto my shirt. And just... <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's really one of these well-crafted series. Like I said, I've only seen the first two episodes, but it's uh, obviously a perfect uh, gen- symbiosis between the writers doing what they need to do, giving the actors what they need to have, and then the actors bringing it home. And and Dean, you just have to be sitting back, looking at this, smiling, thinking you made this happen. That's got to be a great feeling. <laughs> well, I- I'll tell you, I-, I have so much pride in this show. I mean, it-, it-, it touched on everything that I I love as a creative person, and then getting to to deal with uh, the Philippines, you know, which is part of my heritage that I've never been able to explore before in my career. Uh, This show has a lot of meaning for me on many, many levels. And we want to make sure everyone is tuned in Monday, March 30th on WGN America. Check your local listings for when this is uh, debuting here. 
uh, I, I feel it's a double edged sword. I've gotten to see the first two episodes, but now I got to wait three weeks for the next one. So I'm uh, I'll be rewatching the first two, obviously, but uh, very excited to see where this goes. I had a question uh, before I let you guys go. I noticed on Twitter, it's a brand new show, but there are two different accounts that I found for Almost Paradise. I have Paradise WGNA and Almost Paradise TV. Which one of those is official or either one of those official for the Twitter handle? Well, they're both kind of official. Uh, uh, the, the one we're running is the, the one that's spelled weird. <laughs> With, without the E, got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, you know, usually if you see uh, a post there, it's coming from, from us at Electric. Uh, uh, but both are, are good sources of information. And uh, uh, during um, the East Coast feed, we're going to be doing a, a live Facebook uh, uh, thing on the librarian's Facebook page. And okay. during the West Coast feed, we're going to do a live uh, Facebook uh, uh, on the Leverage Facebook page. Very cool. So we can make sure we'll, we'll put a link up to that uh, when we put the show up so that people can hit that. Uh, with the obviously the coronavirus going around, is this holding you up from starting production on season two or are you still waiting on a, an official green light for season two or can you not say? Basically, we just need people to watch this, tell their friends to watch it. And, and if the numbers are good enough, then they'll give us a, a second season. Kane and I are ready to go. We've already got tons of ideas and we're, we're desperate to get back to the Philippines. But uh, we, we need we need people to actually show up in numbers and watch. So uh, we appreciate you having us on the show today. Absolutely. Yeah. Glad to have you both. That's a great pleasure. Uh, Dean Devlin at Dean underscore Devlin on Twitter. Christian Kane at Christian Kane zero one on Twitter. Follow them there and make sure you check out Almost Paradise. Gentlemen, thanks so much for your time. Break legs and continued success to you both. We appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for help. Anytime. Thanks. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Huge thanks once again to Dean Devlin, who is just an amazing person. Christian Kane, very humble, very talented actor. Um, and thanks, obviously, to Marika and I, Camp, who joined us in the beginning. You can check out the Oracle Code at your local comic book store, bookstore. We're going to have giveaways coming up, so make sure you're following me on Twitter and Instagram at geek to me Radio. We're going to have another show for you coming up very soon. So until then, my friends... Thank you, Philippine Islands. Good night.